Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته my dear brothers and sisters I welcome you to Alwaqia TV and our show this afternoon I'm joined my name is uh, Saif Mir I'm joined by Taha Ibrahim who is a Quran teacher and civil engineering student a member of Hizb al-Tahrir and Bilal Khan a spokesperson for West London Dawa. Once again, I welcome you, to, welcome you to this show in this blessed month of Ramadan and in our series of talks this month. Inshallah, you'll benefit from the best of month, the month of Ramadan, a month where the Quran was revealed as a guidance for us and one where the shayateen are chained up, a month where we strive to do the good deeds and put Allah at the forefront of our lives, a month where we forget life's affairs to concentrate on the worship of our Lord, a month where we ponder about the words of our Rabb as we recite his kitab. Today's topic, inshallah, is the purpose and meaning for the believer's life. We all live a purposeful life, or claim to, in that we, in that we do what we need to do to be successful. But how do we define success? Is it to be in a loving relationship, to have good children, uh, a good job, a good career, a good retirement? Interesting, in the UK, the country that we live in, a third of all marriages end in divorce. There are about 3 million one-parent families. You need an average salary of £33,000 to live comfortably. And despite this, 40.5 million people live in poverty, including 4.5 million children, and 1.5 million pensioners. Globally, globally, 700 million people live on less than $2 a day. COVID will add another 100 uh, million to this number. So the reality is different from the ideals. Many will base their purpose on beliefs, on the beliefs they hold strongly, even when they claim they don't have a belief. They worship something even if they think they don't. These beliefs will affect the way they live their life and follow the purpose they have set for themselves in this life. We all at the some time in our life ponder about the fundamentals questions in life. Where I come from, why am I here, and where I will go after death. These things we cannot escape. So inshallah Taha, I'd like to ask, uh, uh, with, uh, by starting with you really, would, would you please clarify and outline how people deal with the fundamental questions and how that leads them to define their purpose in life? Um, for the question. <clears throat> so how people deal with the fundamental questions is you'll get one of two categories. You'll either get the category of people who will uh, question and think about uh, those fundamental questions. I, where, does, where, do, where did we all come from? 
uh, where did life start? What is the purpose of this life? And where are we going to go after this life ends? So you got people who will go down that route to question this and try and understand uh, answers and find seek answers for those questions. And then you get the second category of people who will ignore it and say it's irrelevant uh, and what matters most is just to live this life. So in a nutshell, you, got, you get two camps of people. You get the camps who are uh, people who believe in, a, uh, in some sort of belief system, in a religion. So people who believe in Islam or Christianity or and so on and so forth, who try to understand the, the, the whole uh, basis of life. Or you get those who don't believe, like your atheists, who just uh, don't really bother with those questions and instead focus on living this life. And in fact, go on to challenge people who believe about these fundamental questions to disprove that they are thinking, uh, that their thinking is actually the right thinking. And so as a result, what happens, for example, in the case of Muslims, when, when we think of those three, uh, three, uh, these three fundamental questions, we come to the conclusion that before this life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, existed, uh, He created this life, and in this dunya where we live, our purpose is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and after we die, we go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will hold us to account, and we'll end up in either Jannah or Jahannam. And that shapes our uh, our um, uh, our lives. It shapes how we then live our lives. Then the second category of people, the atheists, who would just deny anything that comes before life, would deny anything that comes after life, and would just say, "Look, we exist. Let's just live." And uh, based on this definition of the fundamental questions, they will also define their purpose of life. For us as Muslims, from the belief that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, He is the one who uh, started this life for us. We fundamentally believe that our purpose in life is defined by Him subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is to worship Him. And for atheists, uh, or those who do not believe, they, they would say, we don't care about the existence of any belief or any God, Allah doesn't exist, therefore the purpose of our life is defined by this belief. And the net outcome is they define life as, live it however you like. Do whatever you think pleases you the most, because the purpose of this life is to attain the most pleasure before you pass and die away. For us, we say the purpose of our life is defined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who started life, who tells us that we exist to worship Him subhanahu wa ta'ala so that we may attain His mercy and rahmah and get to Jannah. So this is how the, 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 the view towards the three fundamental questions shapes our purpose in life. So really it's about um, consequences. You know, if there's a consequence to my actions, then I'm going to change that. And if I understand you correctly, those who don't believe in God or a creator feel there is no consequences, so therefore they will do it as they please. Um, so Bilal, what is happiness and what is success? How would one define that? Jazakallah uh, khair. Firstly, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah to our viewers and Ramadan kareem. Bismillah ar rahim So this, uh, this question about success, right? Everyone wants to be successful. The key question is, how do you attain success? What is success? And um, even before we ask this question about, you know, these fundamental questions about what happens after life, what happened before, what's the meaning, what's the purpose of life? There's, um, there's a situation where majority of people are in, and I think uh, quite correctly, you've got two bucket of people, people that believe and people that disbelieve. But I would say that the majority of people haven't even bothered asking the question. What they're doing is they're moving in whichever direction society is taking them. So the real question when it comes to success is how has society defined success? And when you see, um, you know, what does society deem as something that is successful is 
wherever you see material gain, whoever has the most amount of wealth is seen as someone that is successful. So if you see without, you know, during this COVID period and even before, you will see the top top list of rich people that exist. Uh, and who's the richest person at the moment? You know, the Elon Musk who owns Tesla has become the richest person. All of these things are being tracked and monitored by people. And you see that people's focus really is trying to attain material wealth. Um, and in the pursuit of that, they see themselves busy themselves in. So what I would say is that you can see that in society that the success in this life is seen as the more wealth you have, the more successful you are. And I guess the real question is, is how do they get to that point? Um, and if you see the majority of people are just moving with society, not really asking these key questions. The only point when they start asking the questions of what's the meaning of life, what happens after is when uh, whatever they were looking to achieve, they were unable to achieve it. They come across some sort of problems in life, um, which forces them to think about, well, what's the point? What's the point of this life if they're not achieving what they were set out to achieve? Um, so I can, uh, you know, elaborate if you want me to elaborate, but I know you want a more of a conversation out of this. No, no, I think that's, uh, thank you very much for that. So, um, going back to this point about belief in Allah SWT, God or Creator, why is it, I mean, we've talked about consequences, or I've mentioned that, but is there anything else for us as Muslims? Because Muslims will find it very strange to say, there's, you know, we don't believe in the Creator. Because we're, you know, we're born up, we're brought up with education, uh, you know, when we were young, our parents teach us these things. Um, so what, what is it that, um, you know, what is it that, uh, that belief in God, I mean, practically, how does it make me do things differently? I know you mentioned the success, you mentioned the uh, money and things, um, but it, I mean, what should I take from this, that as a Muslim, I see things differently and a non-Muslim sees things differently? I mean, why? Why? Is, I mean, is, is there something else? Is there something else we should be thinking about, considering? Yeah, so, I mean, if we uh, expand on this, right, so the people that are pursuing wealth thinking that will make them happy, make them successful, and then through that they will attain happiness. If you see celebrities, people that have made it, um, that have attained that wealth, you see that they state they're not happy, right? If you move away from what, the, what you see on screen and you see the reality for it is, you'll see that a lot of them go through um, problems and you see a lot of drug abuse. And then eventually, you know, for some, they even commit suicide, right? Or the drug abuse takes them towards death. So you can see that even though they've attained the material wealth, right, they're not happy. Um, and they thought happiness would be there. And that's what everyone else is thinking where happiness is. So when you realize that actually this doesn't give us happiness, you really start to question, well, what's the point? What's the purpose? And when you start questioning, well, okay, if none of this wealth will come with me after I pass away, then what's really the point? You start asking the question, what comes after life? And then you think, well, where did everything start? And what's the point of me existing? This pushes you towards finding these answers. And if you were to ask the question, well, what happens after life? Well, you know, if you pass away and you could, if you pass away, you won't be able to come back alive. So there's no one to tell you what is going to happen after life as a human being. So the only thing you can ask that from is a being that is, that knows about what happens after. The same being that knows about how everything started. And then for what is our purpose has to come through the same being that can answer these questions. So this pushes us towards seeking 
and understanding whether a creator exists or not. And then in that, we're trying to, you know, really ask the question, does a creator exist or not? And for Muslims, you know, um, and I'll say you don't need to be a Muslim to come to this understanding. You need to think and think about the creation. How could something come from nothing? That cannot happen, right? Rationally, that does not make any sense um, from the reality that's in front of us. There has to be a cause. So from this, we easily conclude that there had to be a starting point, a creator that created everything and created us. And then we seek, why did Allah create us? For what purpose did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create us? But we're in this paradigm where uh, in society, the pursuit of happiness through wealth is taking place. And this discussion about a creator is clouded by this, you know, small group of people of atheists who have been given the limelight to push certain theories forward to really question whether a creator exists or not. And they argue that a creator doesn't exist or the fact that science is not mature enough to conclude on this matter at the moment. So to me, um, maybe if we can bring uh, Taha into this, um, is it a question of values? I mean, clearly we hold different values uh, to those people who don't believe in God. Well, as Muslims, we have values unique to uh, our deen. Um, is it a value discussion? Is it because that we hold different values, so therefore we look at things as being a different purpose? You know, we don't chase necessarily after money, um, fame. So when it comes to the issue of, uh, of values, uh, these are defined by um, uh, your, your purpose in life i.e. where you get your purpose in life from. So values, what we mean by values is, what are the things that you are um, seeking from actions? What are the things that you are living to achieve, right? So for example, am I living to achieve money? Am I living to achieve commerce? Am I living to achieve, um, um, let's say, the prosperity of my country, the prosperity of my, of my nationality? <clears throat> What, how do I then govern myself as an individual? Do I act according to certain morals? Do I not? All of these aspects yeah, become defined by uh, your, your purpose in life and where you get your definition from. Those are two, these are two important factors. So if my purpose in life is defined by me, i.e. the insan, the human being and the human mind, it means I can effectively legislate and define what my values will be, what my priorities will be in life. If it's money, if it's uh, worship of God, if it's getting great the best education and becoming the best academic, or if it's, for example, spreading the message of Islam, if it's if looking after my parents is a good value, or if disregarding them and living my own life is a good value, all of these actions in our life, right, are defined by those two elements. Now, uh, the the difference between the value of the the values that the Muslims hold. And the values that the, those who disbelieve hold is because of this fundamental principle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who created life, who created insan, humans, and he, uh, created everything around us, has defined for us an organized manner that is the correct manner that agrees with the inhuman fitrah, insan's nature, on how you should live your life and the values you should, you should seek in your entire life. This is why as Muslims we align ourselves to, this, to these definitions. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you should value the position of your parents very highly and respect them dearly, therefore for us this reflects in our actions and our behaviors are defined by this thought that we carry because it's defined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says to us, for example, in the Quran, 
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فعلم أنه لا إله إلا الله you have to know with certainty that there is no but Allah we take this and we appreciate to thinking the value of what it means to reach the conclusion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala truly exists non-Muslims those who disbelieve would define uh, all of the values in their life based on the human mind which is always subject to disparity subject to difference and is, is subject to creating chaos between people because the human mind is limited in what it knowledge that it knows and how it can actually manage and organize the affairs of life because no human has more knowledge than other human in terms of understanding the comprehensivity of life and knowing how to define what values are more virtuous than others which actions are more correct than others and which are not humans can't define that but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has given us life he can define that and so when those who disbelieve try to then define whether what are good morals what are bad morals what are the right values what are the, what are the wrong values that creates the, the 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 difference and disparity in the society that we live in today because one person may view something differently to another person someone may may believe that lying is a good thing to do to get yourself out of the difficult positions someone else believes that lying is a bad thing we should never resort to it but who's right according to the human mind you both are right because there's no fixed principle that defines those values for you but for us as muslims we have a fixed perspective which is allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created life defines them all for us and he has the right to because he created us and everything around us and so our values that come from allah and from islam are the correct values but as you mentioned i mean there are some values which uh, even the society you know shouldn't steal in things um that makes me think can we not mix values or are you saying we just we need to stick to just the islamic values Zakallah, yes the values that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has defined for us some values they are the ones that we stick by because uh simply because they come from the creator of man and so when we look to all of the values held by society we should be looking to them and thinking we want we have a better value system than you and we want to give it to you so you may live according to the correct way that agrees with your nature as a human being which is god has created you to live according to his laws so we don't mix values between islamic values and all islamic values we live according to islamic values and we reject anything else and we in fact seek to improve the, the mankind around us with the values of Islam because this is what Islam demands. Jazakallah khair. I mean, Bilal, I mean, it, it makes me think uh, what uh, Faha has just said. I mean, all of us, we've grown up in this country and um, it's not, it's not, um, you know, it's, it makes sense that uh, we live in a multicultural society in this country where the encouragement is, you know what, you may be a Muslim, but it's not, there's no harm in you celebrating Christmas or Diwali and vice versa. So this is probably where we're sort of very much, you know, you know, the society is mixed up. Even the Muslims, you'll say, you know what, there's no harm in this. Um, so, I mean, obviously it's, it's wrong for the Muslims too, but what advice would you give to them? How would they, you know, what should they, how would they, you know, I mean, that has mentioned the fact that we sort of refer back to Islam and the practical things you should, you would like to give us advice how to distinguish yeah, you know exactly. where, where we shouldn't be engaging with other uh, religions and things and uh, their celebrations yeah uh, a very good question and I think this uh, whole discussion on values sometimes people feel quite divorced away from you know what we're talking about exactly here um, Let's just put an example, right? If we had uh, a, a Christian person who on Sunday goes to church and, you know, worships wh whichever deity they believe in, and then come 
Saturday, they decide to celebrate Sabbath and then carry out the Jewish rituals. If someone was to be outside to observe this individual, they will find it really, really confusing that this person on a Saturday, on a Sunday, he is, you know, clearly a Christian, but on a Saturday, he's resembling more of a Jew um, in his worship. And it's like, well, clearly there's a discrepancy there and there's a bit of a clash in the beliefs. That doesn't make any sense. Um, That will be like the natural reaction to when you see, you know, an individual take one element from one belief and another element from another belief and then mix it together. You would just be like, there's a whole host of confusion there. The same applies uh, to Islam. But the beauty about Islam is that it doesn't stop with rituals. It doesn't stop with the five pillars that we often hear. Um, so you know how Muslims uh, you know, pray, let's say, five times a day. There's Ramadan, there's paying zakah, there is going hajj. There's these fundamental things that everyone's aware of. Um, but if a Muslim wasn't aware of how Allah has designed um, how we should interact with other human beings, right? be it our neighbours, be it our spouse, be it with our family members, you will realise that actually there's, there's, in Islam there's a whole host of legislation on how you engage, what sort of relationships you're allowed to have, what sort of relationships you're not allowed to have. For example, many women are not allowed to freely mix. Um, we know uh, a ruling in Islam where if a man and a woman were alone together, shaitan is the third, right? So all of these things, there's actually quite detailed uh, um, guidance on how we engage and how we navigate through life. So be it through social relationships, be it through in economic engagement, be it through a political system. And what you realize is that Islam is comprehensive. So as soon as you accept that as Islam has given me guidance on everything, then you, you shouldn't go anywhere else to another belief system to take guidance from. So when you have Muslims that, let's say, would, when it comes to their rituals, they, go, they abide by Islam. But when it comes to their muamalat, their transactions, they don't use Islam. Rather, they use the secular uh, understanding they have, which is, you know, in liberalism, you're free to do whatever you want. So they might take up mortgages um, and things like that. You see this discrepancy arising um, where they start mixing effectively two different beliefs together and then their personality basically has become confused. So I think first thing first is that Muslims need to understand Islam and this is the perfect month in which you recite the Quran, you understand it and you implement it in your life. And through that we can really understand that Islam is a comprehensive way of life um, and then it has answers to everything. And then we should uh, shape our lives to follow that guidance as well. You make a very good point. I mean, my observations is that um, Ramadan, when the month of Ramadan comes, the Muslims are, alhamdulillah, you know, first in the masjid, uh, you know, tilawa, stay up the night, qiyam, etc. But once Eid Salah finishes, you sort of find they get back to normal, you know, their old life which uh, to me defeats the objective and I can see where the mentality comes from in the fact that you know this whole concept of harmless fun you know so you know it's a bit of mixing I don't believe in Christianity but you know what is there anything wrong giving presence because Islam says we should give presence so there's a lot of mixing of values and concepts and it probably goes back to the fact that in this country we live this very um, mixed and uh, you know confused um, 
life. And I think sometimes we don't refer back to Islam as much as we should do. So my question really, uh, maybe Taha, if you can come in on this, why is it that Muslims sort of tend to put um, Islam at the forefront of their life for one month of the year? We know there's 12 months, but the other 11 months tend to just be forgotten as in like, you know, nothing. Um, why is that? This would probably come to the, the, um, the, the centrality of understanding one simple idea, which is what does being spiritual mean? So when it comes to Ramadan, the hype is is immense. Everyone's hyped. It's Ramadan. People are ready to fast. People are ready to give their salakat, the donation. You know, the boxes are out. Everyone's ready, right? And the salah increases. Everyone's praying the salawat al-khamsa, the five prayers. People are praying the sunan. Taraweeh is happening. Um, people are giving multiple salakats. They're hosting people for iftars. This is the situation. And it's because Ramadan has become a month which has become focused upon this is the most spiritual month for the Muslims because Muslims are observing the, the fasting and then the objective is to achieve piety from this month and therefore Muslims try to do their best to achieve piety. But if you actually understand what taqwa means and what spirituality means, those two words, we will actually be able to appreciate and understand why, how we come into Ramadan should be the same way we should leave Ramadan and live the entirety of our lives according to these two principles. Spirituality doesn't mean to get a, a, say a religious high, to be so religious in one month, do all the rituals, neglecting the world, focusing on yourself and um, uh, praying to God and worshipping Him and staying close to Him and then neglecting the entirety of the world and then saying once that month is over I come out and then I can back and come back and indulge in the world. That's not what spirituality means. To be a spiritual person means that you 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 refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ahkam, the halal and the haram, for every single aspect of your life, regardless of whichever month you're in. Ramadan is the month where we do extra, we do more because the blessings of this month, where the, you know the rewards are, are multiplied, and so we try our best to do them the most in this month, as we know from the multiple examples from the Salaf al-Salihun, from the Sahaba of Prophet but we don't then def- uh, uh, um, uh, confine being spiritual, which is to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, by abiding by the halal and the haram to the specific month. It has to be applied to the entirety of the year because Islam came to govern the life of the human from his birth to his death, not just for a month. This is the point of Islam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَنَزَّلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ تِبِيَانًا لِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ that we have sent down the Kitab, the Qur'an, as a guidance and explanation for absolutely everything. This refers to the entirety of the human month, uh, the human life. And in the month, uh, uh, in the ayah of Ramadan, in Surah Al-Baqarah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, شَهُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزَلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنَ هُدَى لِلنَّاسِ وَبَيِّنَاتِ مِنَ الْهُدَى فِرْقَانَ That the month of Ramadan is the month in which Qur'an was revealed as a guidance for humanity, with the details of what this guidance means and as a criterion for right, for right and wrong for the entirety of the human life. So when we now uh, think of Ramadan, we think of this topic of spirituality, right? It should reflect on uh, the entirety of our lives outside the month of Ramadan because Allah has sent Islam to guide us throughout the entirety of our lives. And being a muttaqi, being uh, someone who has taqwa, which is one of the, 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 the objectives of, of Ramadan, it means to have constant consciousness and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's existence so as to create a barrier between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment and anger by abiding by his halal, halal and haram. 
And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rahmahullah said it very nicely. When he was asked about the definition of taqwa, he said, taqwa doesn't mean to fast all day or to pray all night. Nor does it mean to fast and pray together in a day. But rather taqwa means to abide by what Allah has made halal and to stay away from Allah has made haram throughout uh, the whole of your life. And it's a brilliant definition. This is what spirituality, this is what taqwa means. And so when we leave Ramadan, we should have this perspective that Islam defines the whole of our lives. Jazakallah khair for that beautiful advice. Uh, add a little bit here. Sorry. Um, so yeah, we, sure. Uh, I think this is a really good discussion um, because what we're trying to understand, right, is why are Muslims behaving one way in one month and outside of that they're behaving in a different way. Um, so if we think, what's the objective um, in Islam, right? The objective for the human being, first and foremost, is to attain Jannah and the highest level of Jannah. Right? We all can agree on this. Now, how do we get to that? That place in Jannah depends on how we spend our life. Right? So this life, we know, is a test and is a way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will measure, you know, between our good deeds and our bad deeds, right? How and how, you know, where we are going to end up. Right, or how much time we are going to spend in Jahannam before we get to Jannah, if we are believers. So this, this, this whole focus of the end goal, which is Jannah, depends on how we spend our life. So the focus now becomes this life, right? And as Taha has said that Allah SWT has given guidance for everything, how we are meant to spend our life in this dunya. Um, but another thing we should add to the layer is what's the purpose of the Qur'an? Why was the Qur'an revealed? And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala beautifully says it in Surah Ibrahim uh, and in a translation Allah has said that it is to take mankind out of the darkness and its plural form of darkness into the light. So not only are we here to attain Jannah for how we spend our life and a lot of people, if, the, if you stop there, they will think, okay, all I need to do is be a good Muslim and they've got their own definition of being a good Muslim. But actually, we are here to carry the Qur'an on our shoulders and take it to the whole of mankind. So not just implementing it within ourselves, but implementing it within society because it's a mercy for the whole of mankind. And I think when you accept that as an objective in this life, and that's the objective of the Qur'an to take the whole of mankind in the darkness they're living in, into the nur of Islam, then you appreciate that you need to understand Islam. Implement it in your life. Implement it um, and carry it to the whole of society. And that is done in a particular mechanism, as we can see in Muhammad's life. And then that would change the focus of the Muslims to being just about themselves, to actually being something much greater and wider than that, to basically take this deen to the whole of the world. That gets me thinking. I mean, to me, a lot of Muslims, maybe, is there a question of conviction in the deen? Because, you know, if I'm given uh, a test and I'm told, here's the paper, here's the test, here's the questions, here's the answer. And you know what? If you get uh, all of this right, you're going to get this wonderful prize, a million pound. I'm not going to sit here and go, yeah, I'll just leave that piece of paper there and I'll just get it out, you know, once a day or something like that. I'm going to look at it 24 hours a day or as much as I can. So is it is a bit of conviction. And something you just mentioned gets me thinking, you know, we have a lot of the Muslims um, have this concept, you know what? This bit of Islam, it fits my life, this one doesn't. 
This one I can do, this one I can't. And again, going back to Ramadan, it's one of those things you find a lot of people, you know, will be fasting, will be doing the Tarawi and things because they, they feel the spiritual uplift, like you said. And also, it's something which is maybe fashionable, maybe something which other people can see. But, you know, the other stuff, you know, whether I, you know, buy and sell according to Islam, uh, whether I treat my family according to Islam or not, people don't, maybe don't see that. People, I don't maybe put so much emphasis on that. Is it right for people to pick and choose? Is it right for the other issue was about, you know, I hear this problem about how I view Islam. Um, surely those aren't right, but maybe you could expand on that, Daha. Uh, uh, um, picking and choosing um, uh, which aspects of Islam uh, we want to live by, it actually comes as a net result of uh, Islam defined by how the society views religions. The society that, that we live in has defined a religion in a very specific way, which is, look, a religion means that you can worship God in your personal life, but then when it comes to anything outside of that, as Bilal earlier, earlier mentioned, the issue of the mu'amalat, the transactions, what, how you govern your life out with society, how you buy and sell, how you engage with people, how you conduct yourself in society, all of these aspects don't really, are not really the realm of, of religion. And so this has become a, an unfortunate uh, a reality that has mixed into Islam. So the issue of picking and choosing is due to the watering down, or if I use the term, the secularization, which is the splitting of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from our lives in the thoughts and the minds of the Muslims. And so picking and choosing happens as, as a result of this. And it's an incorrect concept because of the ayah I mentioned previously when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions that that we have revealed the kitab, the Qur'an, down to you, Muhammad as an explanation for all matters. It means that if you want to pick something, you have, can only pick and choose from what Islam has asked you to pick and choose. That is the governing uh, uh, method, the, the governing thought for our whole lives is Islam. So Allah has defined everything for you. We, can, uh, we will then live according to what Allah has asked us to do and pick from the ahkam that he has given us to pick from. We cannot choose and pick from outside of Islam. This contradicts what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us and it, is, and it comes as a result of the secularization of this deen. Which is, not only, Islam is not only subject to this, it's actually all other religions. Because the dominant, the dominant belief system that exists in this world is secularism. Which is that God has no, uh, has nothing to do with your life. Keep him in the house, keep him in your religious places, your mosques, your temples, and keep him shut in there. Outside, do what you want. And so this confusion happens as a result of this. But again, going just referring back to Bilal's point, when we are able to appreciate and understand the purpose of the Qur'an and the purpose of our life, which is to worship Allah and to carry the Qur'an to the entirety of the world and implement and live by it in detail, the mixing and uh, picking and choosing between Islam and non-Islam won't happen in the minds of the Muslims. And another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, he mentions, Islam. Verily, the deen accepted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-Islam. There's nothing about any other belief system mentioned in there except for Islam. So as a Muslim who reads the Qur'an, especially in the month of Ramadan, when he come across this ayah, we have to ponder and think. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that he only accepts Islam as the belief for us to live by and govern our life, then when I meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the al-Qiyamah, which is going back to the fundamental question, what happens after life? And he... He raises us and he accounts and he asks us about how we live our life. Can we say 
that we have lived by Islam totality in our life, or when it came to things in this dunya, we decided to pick and choose and leave Islam at the side. This is not acceptable in the courts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is something that we as Muslims should clarify in our minds to remove the secularization of Islam from our minds. I mean, on this discussion, I mean, the ayah that really comes to my f- mind is in Surah Dhariyat, uh, verse 656, when Allah says, You know, I had, did not create man or jinn except to worship me. So, really, that defines the purpose. And as you've said in your uh, points you've made, ibadat and you know, obeying Allah entirely, holistically, not just parts of it. Um, We're going through a difficult time at the moment. I mean, you know, globally, you know, the pandemic, uh, coronavirus and things like that. Um, what it has shown me is this very bad trait I see in people. Uh, and to be fair, it's in, I've seen it in Muslim countries as well, not just uh, non-Muslim countries. Um, you've seen how in this country, in this society, um, and other countries as well, but the xenophobia and the uh, racism that's apparent, you know, how people are treated. Um, you've got um, the gap between the rich and the poor have uh, widened, the haves and the have-nots. As you mentioned, uh, the billionaires in the world, I mean, they've got richer and richer through this whole pandemic. Is it wrong to make money out of business, out of a pandemic? Uh, Bilal, maybe if you could comment on that. Uh, okay, so, I mean, when it comes to the pandemic, right, I've got multiple, multiple thoughts that go on. Um, the first thing is, that, that goes from a mind, right, is, as I mentioned earlier, that for someone to, you know, these things that we raise are the fundamental questions. I mean, you can have loads of questions about things, right? But the reason why we're saying it's fundamental is because it, it is, once you answer this, it defines your life. Now, a lot of people are busy setting themselves their own objectives in life. And a lot of that is revolved around some sort of um, material gain they want, some sort of success that they've defined for themselves that they want to attain. Um, what coronavirus has done is put the spanners in the works. So like I said earlier, either after you're trying to pursue and pursue and pursue, you get tired of pursuing and then you start questioning life, right? Either that will make you question or some sort of hardship hits you and then it makes you question. I think coronavirus could be argued as one of the things that could, uh, for some people, definitely make them really question life because they're not able to attain what they wanted to attain. Um, and therefore, they're pushed to think about life. So I think in, in that sense, right, it's become a, a blessing in disguise for some people to question life and then find what is the purpose of life? But definitely uh, what you are talking specifically about is how a minute uh, portion of society have really, really benefited from the coronavirus. Now you could argue, you know, their, their business model was just the right one for, well suited for people working from home and therefore they've done really, really well. Um, but if you look at the situation before coronavirus, you had economic hardship taking place. You had a slowdown of the economy. So you already know that the economy since 2008, if you listen to commentators, it hadn't really recovered. So the economy has been bad since the financial crisis and it hasn't really recovered. So you can see problems in economic life, right? Um, 
And then you have this gap between the rich and the poor expanding over time. And it's, it's something that is monitored quite regularly. And if you follow um, sort of statistics coming off from Oxfam and other sort of charities, you see that that gap is widening and widening and widening. And basically, we're in a situation where the economic hardship is being felt by a lot of people. And um, coronavirus has basically led to more unemployment. Um, although there's, you know, recent statistics coming out uh, to show it's not that bad, but still, you can see wage roll has reduced. So you're seeing that the economic situation of people getting worse and worse, but a few in society have benefited. This this reality we're seeing is is come about because they, you know, they have a particular belief system which they live by, um, which under liberalism they've got capitalism that the the you know, um, the people with people are free to own whatever they want and they should be free market. Now, in reality, this doesn't really exist. But going to the basic uh, principle, what we're seeing is that the people with the capital are looked after and the people without capital are being left behind. And this idea of capitalism is something intrinsically linked to their belief in liberalism. So when we see this problem, really, we should start questioning the belief that exists that is causing all these problems and actually see what Islam has to offer. And when you look at Islam from that lens of giving solutions for mankind's problems, you see a whole host of beauty in it that you never saw before. And actually, if people really understood through reciting the Quran and seeing the ayat on these matters, right, you would see the fact that you know, people would flock into Islam in folds. If they were to see and visualize Islam being implemented, they'll see the justice that Islam is, instills in the world, um, which I think it's a, a, it's a key missing thing to the link at the moment where people don't get to, number one, understand Islam because they don't see it implemented, right? And if they were to see it implemented, you will see people seeing the justice of Islam and what it has to you know, show for mankind um, as a system from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Jazakallah, I mean, your observation reminds me of, um, you know, pre-COVID, obviously society wasn't that harmonious and many aspects of it has become worse. And if you look at the Sira, I mean, to me, you know, many aspects of this society, you could go back to the pre-Islamic Makkan era where you had the exploitation of the poor by the rich. You had all of these people who would abuse uh, others just because of what they could. Um, mm. Islam came along and it changed it. Uh, I mean, you know, you then saw that these Arabs who were backward as described by others at the time being the superpowers of the time. So what is it? What was it apart Islam that they did? What is it they did? What was the Sahaba? Uh, what did they do that actually helped? And is it something we could maybe, um, you know, you, you know, implement now? Um, Bilal, if, you, if maybe you want to come back on that. Yeah. So I mean, if you look at the Muslim society, right, there was a whole host of problems. You're right. And if you read a Sirah, it starts with giving a picture of what the Muslim society was like. So you can see when Islam came how it fundamentally changed that society. You know, before Makkah, they went to Medina, right? So let me give some examples of the issues in Makkah. Um, prostitution was a problem. Uh, you had uh, women that wanted to invite men. They would just put out a white flag outside um, as an invitation. 
um, you had issues in the market where you had cheating in the market. So when it came to a bag of rice, they would put uh, wet rice at the bottom and dry rice at the top. So it seemed like you have a dry bag of rice, but in reality, the wet at the bottom is making it heavier. So when they weigh it to then charge the customer, they're then charging them more because it's heavier. This was one of the practices that was taking place. The burying of the daughters alive. Again, we hear this in the Quran, uh, where, you know, another example where they deemed piety to be when you enter the house from the rear, right? This is in Surah Baqarah. Again, all of these superstitious practices, practices, practices that existed came from their belief um, in idol worship. So how Islam came and changed society, right? A, a society that is blindly following their forefathers and carrying out these practices without uh, any thought to it, um, that is like the hardest society to change. Now, how did that change happen? Firstly, the conviction in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, but one thing to bear in mind, you know, it doesn't stop there to believe in Allah and then that's it, Allah will magically sort society out. We know from as soon as the revelation happened and Muhammad went back home to Khadija and told her about the experience that he had, um, you know, went through in, in the cave. Then she took him to her uh, cousin, Warqa bin Nawfal, and explained the situation and said, look, Allah would not forsake you. Let's find out from someone that is more learned about what exactly has happened here. And Warqa bin Nawfal explained, you know, his first response was that basically your, your, uh, your society will drive you out. And also someone said, why would my own people drive me out? Um, and he went to say, no messenger has come with this message, message other than the fact that they are driven by um, the leaders of that society. So what you realize is that this religion and the religion from before of Islam, right, consistently has come with a message to change society. So it's not surprising that the Quran was then able to change that society. And it began in Medina. So the first was conviction in Islam, um, in Allah SWT, in the hereafter. And then that starts shaping our behavior to do what Allah has commanded us to do. And then you have in Medina, we had all the ihkam that had come down to deal with life's issues. And then by implementing that in life as a state structure, you are able to solve all of these problems that the humans were facing in that state. And then that state then expanded and then took that authority elsewhere to then show the justice of Islam. So that's how you saw the, the change take place, right? First was conviction, but the vision that Islam has come here to change society. Then implementing it within society in Medina, and then from that implementation, then taking it to the whole of mankind for them to experience Islam as an authority, and that's how the oppression was uplifted. So you're saying the main, the important, most important part is that vehicle, the state. Um, so which comes to me, I mean, you know, we come to, I think this is the 100th Ramadan, where we have no state. Um, uh, you know, we sort of talk about the, the state being a shield, the Khalif being a shield from which we stand and fight behind and now again in you know around the world we see this um you know a beloved prophet being ridiculed and abused yet we do nothing we can we can't do anything despite there being 52 countries 
So it gets me to thinking the fact that you know the purpose and meaning for the believer's life is the topic we started on really cannot be fulfilled without having that vehicle, as you've just mentioned. Um, Daha, am I right or am I wrong in this uh, assumption? Um, in the issue of there being the, the 100th Hijri year without the existence uh, of uh, Islam, we are, we are finding ourselves in a situation where the values of Islam are not being protected. In fact, it's the opposite. They are being attacked. So our Prophet wasallam being insulted and mocked for the last how many number of years in multiple attempts to even to go from that the sanctity of the Muslim blood that is being spilt, which is greater to Allah, the drop of Muslim being greater to Allah than the than, than the Kaaba, and the the general the, the death uh, of, of a Muslim, the oppression, the rape of our sisters, all of these issues. So it's, it would be correct to say that without the existence of the shield, this Ummah would be living, or the Muslims would be living in such a difficult situation like we have lived today, and it will not be resolved except with the return of the state, the Khilafah state. In fact, the same applies to the whole of humanity. All of mankind requires this Khilafah state, not just the Muslims. And historically, the Dhimmi, the Dhimmis, who are the protected uh, non-Muslims who live under Islam, enjoyed life like they didn't ever before because of the justice that Islam gives to the whole of humanity because it comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why for the protection of the Islamic values and for the protection of every single person who exists, the existence of the state of uh, Islam, the Khilafah system, is necessary. And I just want to add a point, inshallah, if you don't mind, just on this point, which just to explain the reason as to why all these attacks are happening. Because as Bilal rightfully said, when the Quran came to Muhammad sallallahu it shaped and challenged society. This was the objective of Islam. It was to change society to make society live according to Islam. And we know the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he said in the hadith, the Hadith continues. The Prophet he said that, that the Banu Israel used to be uh, politically managed by their prophets. And each time one prophet perished, another came, and there will be no prophet after me. And instead there will be Khulafa, and they will number many. The Sahaba asked, what do you want to do, Rasulullah? He said, give them each one bay'ah, one after the other. Yani, the Khulafa, who, which is the proof for the singular term Khalifa, the man in charge of the Ummah, the Khilafah state, is responsible for looking after the affairs of the people. And he will do this according to the justice of Islam, to shape society to the values by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us all to live by, which matches with our fitrah, with the, with the, nature, of human, with the nature of humans. Why are Prophet wasallam is being attacked? Why are all of our values are being uh, insulted and mocked? Is because of a fundamental idea called the clash of civilizations. Two different worldviews are at war. Islam believes in a worldview that is defined by our purpose in life, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created this life, He wants us to live according to Islam in this life, and we'll meet Him in the Akhirah. This is worldview number one. Worldview number two is secularism. We don't care about God's existence, we don't care about the next life. All we care about is living life according to how we deem fit, which is to attain the maximum pleasure and happiness that we can. These two worldviews being at constant war is what's causing the battle between Islam and Kufr. Where we see our, the insult of our Prophet wasallam and all, everything is happening. Because from their perspective in life, they do not believe that the Islamic values are correct. 
They believe they are against their values of freedom, of tolerance, of multiculturalism, all fake uh, mirage terminology that mean nothing in real terms. And in fact, how they live, uh, how they live and implement their systems of kufr negate those very belief systems that they believe their own philosophy. They really think that Islam goes against all of this and therefore they attack our values. Islam on the flip side thinks all of those are incorrect. Freedom, tolerance, multiculturalism, secularism, all of it is rubbish because all of it goes against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's commands and it goes against the fitrah, the nature of humans, which is to be governed by the all-knowing almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore, the protection of the values of Islam and the protection of humanity from the filth of kufr that is taking place, which is destroying society, has destroyed society pre-COVID, post-COVID, and forever it will destroy society, it will only happen with the return of the shield, which is the Khilafah system, that protects Islam, the shield for Islam, protects the Ummah and protects the whole of humanity from the dirt of secularism and all these kufr thoughts. Jazakallah um, it gets me to think then, Bilal, maybe if you can come in. In this month of Ramadan where we recite the Qur'an, we try to understand, ponder, um, try to improve ourselves. What we've just discussed is one of the fundamental aspects is the implementation of Islam. So why is it that we're not told more about this? I mean, why is it that our countries, uh, we have 52 countries, why do they not actually um, remind people about this from the khutbahs, from their, you know, from their scholars? What is it, why, do, why do they not do this? Okay, so um, the like if we look at um, from the point when the Khilafah was destroyed, right? What did he have? Colonialism. But before these colonialists left these countries, they instilled their own puppet rulers in place. And when you have your own puppet ruler, they do as the colonialists want. So their plans is what is safeguarded, um, even though the boots have left. They've basically now got a puppet ruler. Now, if you look at the Muslim, Muslim countries, this is what we see is the colonial powers who have an interest in that region playing their game of maintaining their interest or expanding their interest. And these rulers are really just there as puppets um, acting in accordance to these colonialists. So really what we have is a situation which is ajib, where, you know, you've got, these Muslim rulers in place, but in reality, you still got a colonialist that are really playing their game in the region. So the, the key thing the colonialists want, and this is what Daha has mentioned, is the fact that the two, civil, two civilizations are um, clashing. Um, the colonialists will then try to suppress Islam. And what is the method of suppressing? One is to show your dominant, uh, your culture as being dominant over Islam. So they would show they would show the West as being so, something progressive, something far like light years ahead. Why are they light years ahead? Again, they will bring it back down to their secular belief, and they would try to promote that in the the minds of the Muslims, be it through various forms of, you know, uh, their culture coming in, be it through education, be it through uh, you know their um, their, their media, their showbiz, all of that stuff is showing the West in a particular limelight. And then Islam, they show it in a negative sense. Um, and they show it as something that is backward. So this, this is what we're seeing played out, um, not, not just here in the West, but in the Muslim lands as well. Um, and I guess that's where the issue really is, is this relationship between the rulers that are in place that were instilled 
And even when they change over, they change over based on the West giving the green light, right? Be it France, Britain, um, America. When they want, when a particular ruler doesn't stay in their line, they then replace him for another. Um, so, so Bilal, are you saying that the rulers, the rulers, their role is? Hmm. Sorry. So you're saying the rulers, their their aim is not to serve their population; it's to serve others. Yeah, so it's really to play out the colonialist plan for that region. Um, it's not in the interest of the Muslims. And that's why you can see that, uh, you know, the economic situation being from something that was really hard, getting even more harder with things through like things like IMF loans and the conditions that are attached to these loans. All of this actually just benefits the West. It doesn't benefit these countries. Actually, it puts them under slavery. So um any engagement from the west we see is actually interfering and causing problems and actually doesn't get the muslims closer to islam rather it's to further them away from it so the rulers have a big part to play in this and you know the the problem stems from there as soon as you change the leadership to be for islam based on islam that's when you will see a fundamental change it begs the question, how do you do that then? Because for me, I'm just thinking about the topic today, which is purpose and meaning for the believer's life. These rulers are an obstacle for that. So how do we remove these rulers? What does Islam say about these rulers? Uh, maybe Taha, you want to come in on this? Yeah, inshallah. I'll make a comment and maybe I can, add, I can add as well, inshallah. So Islam says the way to change, going back to the entire discussion, is to first refer back to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Prophet have defined as a method for change. Because we, as Muslims, we refer everything back to Islam in, in its totality. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has laid down the method of change by his Prophet sallallahu in how he changed uh, the society in Medina in his, uh, in his uh, 13 years of da'wah of Mecca up until when he established the Islamics of the Khilaf in Medina, that period becomes the method by which we look to uh, to see how we can return and implement Islam as a state as Bilal has defined, that is by Islam and for Islam. Because those 13 years serve as a blueprint for any uh, group, for, any, uh, for all Muslims, any group of Muslims who want to know how to change the scenario, it's, uh, our current scenario, is in those 13 years of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, he did, the, he did it in three, in three simple stages. The first stage that he did is he built a group of individuals to create uh, strong personalities who have their thoughts aligned with Islam in this, in this comprehensive nature. That they, they have clearly understood the three fundamental questions and they have made the three fundamental questions and the outcome, which is living by Islam and living for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the basis for every single thought and action that they do. Culturing this group of individuals for three months, for three years, until he established a group of strong Sahaba who became his Da'wah group. They became his Kutla. They became his group of, of, of Da'wah carriers. The second stage where the Prophet then he uh, went on to, to perform was to go and challenge the dominant thoughts in society to try and change it to uh, the thoughts of Islam from the thoughts of Kufr. He tried this in Mecca, he didn't manage to do it. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the Nasr through Medina, where he then changed the thoughts 
of the people in Medina by the help of, of his Sahabi who was part of his da'wah, Musa ibn Amir anhu, and then he managed to change the thoughts and prepare Medina to become the first starting point for the first Islamic state that we know. And then the third stage was the Prophet ﷺ moving to Medina by the Hijrah and assuming the role as the leader of the Muslims, implementing the state of Islam that is established for Islam alone and by the method that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the Prophet ﷺ. This is how we do it. And so any ruler in our current term, in our current time, who doesn't look to establish Islam, goes against the seal of the Prophet ﷺ for those 13 years, and the, the more he stands in the face of Islam, the more he serves as an insult to Islam, to Allah and His Messenger ﷺ. Islam says we must do away with these rulers. They have nothing to do with us, and we have nothing to do with them. The Prophet ﷺ, he says in the hadith, أَلَا كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَتِهِ فَالْإِمَامُ الَّذِي عَلَى النَّاسَ رَاعٍ وَهُوَ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَتِهِ That every single one of you is a shepherd and each one of you is responsible for his flock. And the Imam who is in charge over the affairs of his people is responsible and he is in charge for his flock, i.e. the people underneath him. The Imam for the Muslim doesn't exist because no single ruler today fits the conditions of a Khalifa, doesn't rule by Islam and does not look after the affairs of his people. They are not uh, uh, the rules of Islam. They have nothing to do with this Ummah. And this Ummah must seek this method of the Prophet ﷺ that he used in those two stages to then establish the state of Islam and elect a leader who will become like the Khulafa of the past who followed the method of the Prophet ﷺ by establishing Islam for this Ummah and for the world. Inshallah. Bilal, we're coming fast coming to the end of our show. Is there anything you want to add before we end? Uh, I think Taha said it beautifully, but something did come to my mind, right? Uh, which is, um, like in the month of Ramadan, where we're reciting the Quran a lot, we come across in the Quran multiple stories of the prophets, multiple, and that different. You know, you don't get the full story in one section of the Quran. It's like, oh wow, that's A to Z story done. Is that you get it in different places in different surahs. But there's a there's a common thread uh, that I have seen. And actually Allah mentions in the Quran as well, which is in respect to these prophets that came, who were the people that rejected them? It was the leaders. And the leaders tried to drive them out. And then Allah then punished them. And the punishment varied, right? Fir'aun was drowning with, uh, with you know, uh, with Lut alayhi islam, it was a different punishment. So you can see that the punishment differed amongst the different prophets and the people that they went to. But it was the leaders that rejected them. Then Allah's punishment fell on top of them. And then the believers were saved. But when it comes to uh, this ummah, the ummah of Prophet Muhammad are we waiting for Allah to send his punishment down? No. Because as Taha has said, that the method in which you attain the victory in Islam has been given to us by the footsteps of Muhammad the steps that he had taken and that to us is an example and you know if you see the victories that took place it was actually in the hands of the muslims so battle of badr took place in ramadan this blessed month so what we need to understand right is that we need to make dua for this victory we need to understand it we need to then take the appropriate actions for it and not to expect allah will just bless us with the victory without us taking any steps towards it rather we need to follow that prophetic method um to the t and 
with that doing dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, submitting to Allah, the victory will come to us, inshaAllah. Inshallah. Jazakallah khair brothers, it's been a very good discussion and inshallah our viewers have benefited from it. Um, um, so, I mean, if I've understood correctly from our discussion, the, uh, the question or the, the statement we started with, the purpose and meaning of, for the believer's life, really is about living our life according to Islam. And for us to do that, we need to establish Islam. And I think, Bilal, you've made a very good point. You know, we all claim to know the seerah, but I think, you know, we should really keep on studying the seerah. Because every time you read something, you learn a bit more. And I think that's, I can't emphasize that enough, really. Um, Jazakallah khair to both of you, brothers, and Jazakallah khair to our viewers. And inshallah, please join us every week uh, on uh, Sunday, 6.30 p.m. for our regular shows. Jazakallah khair, and thank you very much. And may Allah grant you a, a good Ramadan and a blessed Eid. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sira are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe. Share and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.